بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We've been discussing the principles of purifying the heart from the teachings of Imam Al-Ghazali rahmatullah alayh and so far we have covered the first day we discussed one of the principles of purifying the heart was avoiding something which we call gluttony which is overeating, <coughs> overindulging and he highlighted how this is one of the main problems to the spiritual uh, illnesses that we experience and very little attention is given towards this many people are unaware and as the great Imam highlighted initially that the first thing is knowledge if we don't know what's wrong with us and if we don't know how to go about it and if we don't know it's something wrong then how will we ever treat it and so we discussed this in great detail yesterday we spoke about being over talkative speaking that which is necessary and the harms uh, that are connected to it and then the great Imam highlighted there are 20 harms and 20 great dangers of just useless talk and then he condensed it into five and he said if you stay away from these five you'll be safe from all 20 anyone remember what these five were lying backbiting arguing joking unnecessarily or excessive joking we're talking about because the Prophet did joke in moderation so doing it all the time and praising praising somebody all the time because a lot of time praising is false or sometimes it's done on someone's face and it's not supposed to be done so these were the harms of uh, using the tongue unnecessarily and the outcome was to think before we speak and to weigh out the benefits and today inshallah we're going to move on to the third principle and as the great Imam highlighted that there are many illnesses of the heart but he's only going to speak about 10 and again he says if we control these 10 all the rest fall under any one of these 10 categories so the third principle the great Imam is mentioning is anger know that anger is a flame taken from Allah's blazing fire that rises over the hearts when you become angry you can feel the heat can't you so he says this is taken from the this heat and this fire actually comes from the fire of Jahannam whoever it overcomes has adopted the stock of shaitan for indeed he is a creature made of fire breaking extreme anger is one of the most important matters of the religion the Prophet said the fierce one is not the one who can wrestle the fierce one is the one who controls himself when angered he also said anger spoils faith like aloe spoils honey he also said no one can ever become angry except that he was on the brink of hell a man once asked O messenger of Allah وسلم, what is the fiercest thing in existence the Prophet وسلم, replied the wrath of Allah the man asked what will keep me away from the wrath of Allah the Prophet وسلم, replied that you do not become angry so the fiercest thing is the wrath of Allah. How can you stay away from the wrath of Allah? By not becoming angry. Another man once asked the messenger of Allah وسلم, suggest some practice to me but make it simple. Don't give me something too hard. Don't give me a lengthy lecture. I just want to give me some short sweet advice that I can practice upon straight away. So the Prophet very short and simple he said to him do not become angry. So the man asked again like, can you give me some more advice? This is like really short. I said short, but this is too short. Give me some more advice. The Prophet ﷺ said, do not become angry. He asked again. And the Prophet ﷺ said, do not become angry. He continued to ask. And the Prophet ﷺ, every time he asked, he said to him, do not become angry. The scholars have considered this hadith of two words, la taghdab which means do not become angry. La means no or don't. And taghdab is becoming angry. So la taghdab, do not become angry. Two words, but the scholars have considered this to be from which we call jawami'ul kalim. One of the specialities of the Prophet ﷺ was that he used concise speech which was very comprehensive. So two words, but the meanings, there's oceans of meaning in this. What does it mean la taghdab, do not become angry? 
The Prophet ﷺ here is not just saying to him, do not become angry. Sins, every type of sin, you can put it into two categories. There's two types of sins. And the sins that are created from something which we call the carnal desire, the shahwa, um, they are 50% of the sins. And then you've got the other sins, which are not from the carnal desire. So, by the Prophet ﷺ saying, La taghdab, do not become angry, what is he saying? He is preventing you from committing 50% of sins. Because when you become angry, what happens? Does it just stop there? What happens? When you become angry, this anger leads to hatred. This anger leads to jealousy. This anger leads to stealing. This anger leads to suspicion. This anger leads to thinking bad of other people. This anger leads to backbiting. This anger leads to being abusive verbally. This anger leads to being abusive physically. Can you see how many sins? And it all starts from where? Being angry of somebody. So the Prophet ﷺ, how amazing and beautiful, this was miraculous. That he would say two words, but there were oceans and depths of meaning in there. So La Taghdab wasn't just La Taghdab. He wasallam was safeguarding him and giving us an advice. That if you prevent yourself from anger, you've shut the door of 50% of sins in your life. So this is the Prophet ﷺ advising. How can the sickness of anger not be serious when its outward manifestation entails violence, cursing and insulting? While inwardly he entails hatred, envy and harboring of ill will and profanity. The intention to expose another or spread his secrets, joy at the suffering of the person with whom one is angry and sadness when he is happy. Each one of these filthy characteristics is destructive by itself. As we can see, each one of these is a major crime in itself. Where does it all start from? What's the root? It's anger. So if we can control our anger, it's not wrong to, be, to have anger. We, as a human being, anger has to be present. If you don't have anger in you, you're not a human being, you're something else. So anger must be there. But anger needs to be controlled and anger needs to be expressed at the right time. And this is what the great Imam is going to explain now. You have to do two things to deal with anger. The first of them is breaking it by practice. By breaking it, I do not mean removing it. It doesn't mean that you actually remove anger from your life totally and from your, from your mind or from your heart or from your system, you take it out totally, no. Rather, on the contrary, if it is done away with, it is an obligation to retrieve it once more. If somebody has become such that there's no anger left inside them, then it's an obligation for them to create anger inside you once again. Because anger is also a part of the deen which is needed at certain times. You need to become angry at certain times. And if you're not angry at certain times, then there's something wrong with you. So the Prophet ﷺ, uh, as we heard before, he said, La taghdab. And there's other narrations as well, which we talk about controlling anger. So this is what it's all about, of controlling the anger. Did the Prophet ﷺ ever become angry? Did he? Yes, he did. Was he all the time? Was he always an angry person? No. He was the best and the kindest person, the nicest person you met. But there were a handful of moments and times where we do study that he did. So becoming angry, it's not wrong. But it needs to be controlled and it needs to be done at the right time and not all the time. So on the contrary, if it is done away with, it is an obligation to retrieve it once more. Because it is the instrument of fighting the disbelievers and preventing objectionable conduct and a means to establishing much good. So if the commands of Allah are being broken and violated and uh, the Prophet ﷺ is being spoken about in a very derogatory manner, someone is being blasphemous for example, are you going to sit there and just smile at them? Someone speaking ill of your mother for example or someone swearing at you know, the Sahaba for example. Well, we're just going to sit there and smile and say, smile, it's a sunnah. Is that what we're going to do? At that time, at that time, the obligation is to display anger, to be enraged and to stand up against this because this is something which is, it's not to do with you personally. We spoke yesterday in the study circle, the Prophet ﷺ never took revenge for himself. But when it came to the rights of Allah and the religion, no one could stop him when he became angry. So this is what it's referring to. 
That if someone's lost their anger totally, meaning they don't have any, something we call in Islam, we call ghayra. Ghayra. Uh, in Urdu, we also use it called ghayrat. And in English, there's not really a translation for this word. Uh, some, some people translate it as sense of honor. But that's not really a translation. But to the closest sort of explanation, sense of honor. Um, and this is something that every Muslim must have, a sense of honor. Um, a sense of pride in, in, in terms of things that belong to you, things that are dear to you. When someone stretches a hand towards them, uh, it's something that sh you should feel. Uh, for example, you have daughters, you have a wife. If somebody is being indecent towards them, what, you're just going to sit back and watch it and be happy about it. You know, the, at that time, as a man, there should be a sense of honor inside you. And the being that has the greatest sense of honor and ghayrah is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also displayed this. So this is something that's required by the sharia that we have uh, to a degree. So Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah is explaining that the anger that we need, it's like a hunter's dog. Its training is to be disciplined until it is directed by reason and the sacred law. That is, it is provoked only when signaled by reason or the sacred law. And likewise, it's abated. So you've got a hunting dog. Uh, it doesn't go wild everywhere, does it? It's very, it's trained. And people are not scared of those kind of dogs as well. It's there, it's always there. But only when it's needed, it, it takes action. Otherwise, it keeps himself to itself. Why? Because it's been trained. So exactly in the same way, the anger is present. That doesn't mean a person always displays his anger and acts upon the, 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 the commands of the anger, no. But when it's needed, it's present. This is possible through persevering until you are habitual to patience and forbearance in the fact of things that anger you. So this is the first. The second is controlling anger when provoked by containing it. And this is facilitated by knowledge and practice. So there's two things that we need. First of all, knowledge. And the second is practice. As for knowledge, it is for a person to know that there is no reason for his anger except his refusal to accept that things happen according to the will of Allah and not his own. When something happens, we become angry. We become angry at someone or something. If a person was, if we have, we have the knowledge, but if at that time, this knowledge we possess was to be present in our mind, that whatever has happened has happened through the will of Allah. Yes, somebody has become the means for it, but it, Allah willed it to happen. It's happened now. You getting angry over it and taking action over it, what's going to happen? Is he going to change anything? Nothing. Nothing's going to happen. So it's, it's happened now. So this is the knowledge to know that there is a reason and that is the reason is why you're becoming angry because you're refusing to accept that whatever happens happens according to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is an, an extreme level of ignorance if a person is always getting angry when things take place because whatever happens happens with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is also for a person to know that Allah's anger is greater than his anger. Yet Allah's grace is even greater. So this is another thing that great Imam is saying that this knowledge is necessary for every Muslim to know that anger of Allah is greater than my anger. Yet his grace and his clemency, his forgiveness, his kindness, his mercy is even greater than that as well. Uh, we find the mention in certain narrations that it is inscribed on the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that my rahmah and my mercy has surpassed my anger. So that is something present. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala displays anger now and again and his wrath. But the mercy and the clemency, the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala surpasses the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a person should know that the anger of Allah is greater than my anger. How many times have I disobeyed him and broken his commands? So why should I become angry with someone who opposes me? How many times have I broken the command of Allah? So you've done something to violate Allah's law. Just like you feel somebody's broken your rule. It could be your son, it could be your daughter, it could be your brother, it could be a friend of yours, it could be a family member, it could be a member of the public. 
when we say your rule I mean we're not anyone to create a rule but they've done something to you it's like your rule isn't it and you feel you've been offended you've been violated someone's done something to you said something to you they've upset you okay similarly how many times have we broken a law and a command of Allah did Allah displays anger immediately upon us just like we display anger on other people so this is what the Imam is saying that at that time a person should straight away remember the wrath of Allah that if I always get angry at people when they do something to me imagine Allah was to display his anger at me whenever I broke one of his commands would I be in existence would I still be around does he think why should he become angry when someone opposes him does he think that the confirmity of his slave family member or associate of his command is more binding than his confirmity to Allah's command it is most certainly not so we expect other people to follow our commands but yet we don't follow the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and expect Allah to we to say Allah is ghafoorur rahim he's going to forgive me anyway so what happened when people broke your command why don't you display what you expect from Allah why don't we display that to other people as well as for knowledge it is for a person to say I seek refuge in Allah from shaitan the accursed so this is something we've been told you become angry someone angers you something angers you immediately we should start instead of swearing instead of saying using vulgar language a person should start saying and immediately a person will realize where does his anger come from it comes from shaitan shaitan is made from the fire and this will lead me to the hellfire if i was to continue practicing upon this if it is not abated by that now you're saying and there are some people who get really really angry and sometimes they say the anger goes away but sometimes you're saying it but you're getting more and more angry because instead of thinking about the anger of Allah and Allah's power over you uh, you know once there was a Sahabi and he was scolding and beating his slave he must have made a mistake he must have done something he wasn't supposed to make them he's a Sahabi and his slave he's being scolded as he's beating him and then the Prophet ﷺ came from behind and the Prophet ﷺ stopped him and he ﷺ said Allah has more power over you than you have over him Allah has more power over you than you have over him you feel that this person's under you and he's done something wrong to you and you're taking it all out on him but more than that you're under beneath Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does Allah do this to you? Allah has more power over you than you have over him you don't own him really you own him in that sense but he doesn't belong to you you belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thinking of this at the time of anger makes the anger go away saying a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem makes the anger go away however if you've done this if you've thought of this you've said a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem and still you feel angry then the hadith has told us the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam advises us change your position change your position so now if a person is standing then they should sit down if you're sitting down a person should lie down because what happens is when a person becomes angry anger is from where it's from shaitan and shaitan is made of fire and when you light fire when you ignite it what happens it, ri it rises and this is what happens think of when you've been angry before if you've been lying down okay it gets you up you sit down if you're sitting down it makes you stand up if you're already standing up you start jumping up and down and not just you but all your hands and your feet and everything and the whole house is shaking now why because you're angry and this is the effect of the fire so that's why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa has advised that take it down to the lowest ground and put that fire out so the best way is that doesn't work think of the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that doesn't work sit down that doesn't work lie down if that doesn't work as well then there's only one way to it look sometimes you try and control the fire you stamp on it and it doesn't go out now there's only one cure now what, what's the cure you need water this is why Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa has said that when you come to this stage and your anger doesn't subside go and make wudu because anger is from the fire of Jahannam and this water and the coolness of your wudu will cool it down um, so this is how amazingly this is the anger management course uh, put out by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa years and years ago before any of this existed 
And today we're going and people are paying thousands of pounds to try and train themselves. Whereas the Prophet ﷺ, he laid it out. Such a beautiful anger management course he, he, he laid out. And the Prophet ﷺ, again, another advice we've been given is remove yourself from the situation. If you're doing all of this, sometimes what happens is you're practicing on this and you think, why is it not working? And you're getting more and more angry. You've sat down, you're getting angry. You're lying down, you're getting angry. You're drinking water, you're getting angry. Why? Because the person or the thing that's making you angry is right in front of you. Remove yourself from the situation. Go out of the room or tell that person to go. And that automatically, automatically your anger will subside. So remove yourself from the situation and uh, it, it, we will see a change. He also said, surely anger is a hot coal in the heart of the son of Adam. Do you not see the redness of his eyes and the bulging of his veins in his neck? Whoever sees anything of that within himself should put his cheek on the ground. This is an allusion to placing the dearest part of the body on the lowest place in order to break one's pride. For it is without doubt the foremost cause of anger. So it's because of pride, of course, a person becomes angry. He's saying, then put your face onto the ground and you will see how the anger will go away. Verily through forbearance, a man will attain the same level of reward as someone who stands in prayer at night and fasts during the day. And will be recorded as being overwhelming might despite having control only over his household. He وسلم, also said, whoever contains his fury and anger, despite having the ability to unleash it if he wanted, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fill his heart with security and faith on the day of resurrection. This is a virtue of controlling your anger. Now there's two types of controlling. If you're watching Donald Trump on TV, for example, and you're getting really, really angry, and you're, you're fuming and you, you just can't take the guy, and then you think, you know, I'm going to do sabr. And you're calming yourself down and you're drinking water and it's getting cool. That's not really controlling your anger. What can you do? You can't really do anything to him. What are you going to do? He's not in your reach. So that's, we don't call that controlling anger. What, what, what were you going to do? You can't harm him. You can't do anything to him. Unless besides smashing the TV, you're harming yourself there. And you'll, have, you'll go and buy another one the week after. So we're not talking about controlling the anger is when you have the power to execute your anger on somebody, either by verbally or physically hurting them or doing something to them. At that time, you're in control. And that happens mostly with family members, with friends, with colleagues, with people you work with, your relations, people that are around you that, you, that you've got control over them. Control in the sense that you can access them. You can execute your anger upon them and you don't. You control yourself. Uh, somebody's driving past, for example, and sticks a finger up at you and you do sabr. I mean, you weren't going to run after them anyway. They drove off. What, what were you going to do? That's out of your control. But someone who's, this is, this is where sometimes we get mixed up and think, oh, I'm doing sabr. I'm really patient because I don't say anything back. No, it's the people that are with you. How a person can control themselves in this situation. And if a person does, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day when their hearts will be terrified and horrified on the day of judgment, Allah will fill this person's heart with peace and security on the day of judgment. So this is a virtue for controlling the anger. Also, there is no act of concealment more beloved to Allah than for a slave to contain his fury and swallow it down. There is no slave that does so, except that Allah fills his heart with iman and faith. So a person who does this, the benefit of this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fills his heart with iman and faith. So that was the third principle mentioned by the great Imam, uh, anger. And if a person wants to control their anger, many benefits we will see. At the start we spoke how 50% of the sins are all rooted in, the, in anger. If a person controls this, then what will happen automatically will be protected from so many sins. The fourth principle. The next one Imam Ghazali Rahmatullahi mentions is envy. In Arabic we call this Al-Hasad. And we generally translate this as jealousy. Again he's saying this is one of the core principles. If a person wants to control this area, many many evils will leave and many bad characteristics will leave the heart. 
Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Jealousy consumes good deeds just like fire consumes wood. So you light a fire, you've got the wood, you hear that crackling sound, and before you know it, it's turned into ashes. So when we are jealous of other people, of other individuals, you might think you're being jealous of them, you're thinking of, you know, how can this, how can this person be deprived of this blessing of Allah? But the truly deprived individual is the one who is being jealous. Why? Because all your good deeds have burnt away. There's nothing left. There are three things from which no one is saved. Speculation, foreboding, and envy. Speculation is... Uh, what, what we call in Arabic, the justus, being suspicious. And foreboding means having uh, misgivings about other people, thinking bad. In Urdu, we call it badgumani. And uh, in Arabic, it's called dhan. In the ba'd of ithmun, Quran says. And envy is hasad, jealousy. So these are three things which everybody every single individual experiences to a level that doesn't mean that we become content with it it's how you deal with it it passes by everyone's mind and heart it's a very natural feeling but it's how we deal with it i will talk to you about the way out of these if you speculate if you're suspicious about someone or something a thought comes in your mind and you're suspicious about someone or something if you speculate, then do not verify. If a thought comes in your mind, you're suspicious about somebody doing something bad or something wrong. That's come, it's involuntary. You didn't, you didn't uh, by yourself, you didn't go out and bring that thought in your head. The thought came by itself. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you don't entertain it, you don't verify it, and you don't start to believe it. When I start believing a suspicion about somebody, without any evidence. I've not seen him do it. I've not heard him do it. I don't have any evidence whatsoever. But I strongly start believing in it. Without any evidence and without any reasoning whatsoever. This is now, you've verified it and this is harmful. If you consider something foreboding. Now, if you have misgivings about someone, uh, you think bad of them, you've got negative view about something, He's advising, continue onward, just move on, like, don't waste your time, just move on, why bother with that? And if you envy, so the, the thought has come in you to become jealous of someone or something, then do not transgress. Leave it as that thought and let it pass by, because it's come by itself, it'll go by itself. But if you start believing in it and pursuing it, and start creating enmity, and then backbiting, and then trying to do other harm, then this will take ground in the heart and the mind and will become very harmful. He also said, the sickness of the previous communities had spread to you, envy and hatred. And hatred is a razor. So he said, razor that does not shave the hair, it shaves away your good deeds and your deen. Zakariya said, Allah says, the jealous person is the enemy of my blessing angered by my decree and displeased with the division that I have allotted, allocated between my slaves. So what does he say? A jealous person, he's the enemy of the blessing of Allah and he's not happy with Allah's distribution. If you're jealous of someone who's got more wealth than you or someone who has more knowledge or someone who's given a, been given a position higher than yours, for example, and a person feels jealous, now who gave it to them? This has come only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So over here it's being said that if a person has got a complaint about this, who are you complaining about? A person is not happy with the distribution of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says in the Quran, Ahum yaqsimuna rahmata rabbik. Is it them who distribute the mercy of your Lord? Allah chooses who, who he wants to give to. And if a person is jealous, it shows that you are not happy with the distribution of Allah. You think Allah has done wrong. Has, does Allah ever do wrong? So this is what a person should think of. that Whatever they have, this is Allah's distribution. I can't complain. And I have no right to complain about what Allah gives to whom. 
nor the envy, jealousy, which is to light for the blessing of another to be removed or for a calamity to befall them is unlawful. So to wish that a good that somebody has is taken away from them or a calamity comes upon them, something wrong happens to them. This is unlawful competition, which is to be happy for another and dislike for his blessing to be removed. Yet desire the same thing for yourself. Sorry. So on the other hand, competition, the permissible envy is you do not wish for that good to be taken away from somebody. You don't want any calamity come up to come upon them. The only thing is you hope that, oh, it comes to me. I, I can gain this as well. So this is not haram. There's nothing wrong with this as long as a person doesn't transgress in this as well. It is also permissible to like a blessing to be removed from someone who uses it for oppression and disobedience. Because you do not want the removal of the blessing, rather you want the removal of the oppression. The sign of this is that he would, if he were to leave this disobedience, you wouldn't like the removal of the blessing. So that's a, there's a good intention there. Envy is caused by pride, enmity or the evil of the ego, which is stingy concerning Allah's blessings. So some people are so stingy that they want to sort of be stingy in regards to Allah's blessings as well. So they don't want Allah to give to other people. So they're stingy about what other people spend as well. Know that envy is one of the heart's greatest sicknesses. Now how to treat envy and remove it from our lives? Know that envy is one of the heart's greatest sicknesses. And only the combination of knowledge and practice can treat a sickness of the heart. As for the knowledge-based treatment, it is that a person knows that his envy harms him and does not harm the one he envies. So knowledge, first of all, number one, knowledge. The knowledge that we need to have is, when I am jealous of somebody else, the jealousy doesn't harm the one being jealous of. Who does it harm? It harms you. You are the person that is harmed. And on the contrary, who benefits? You don't benefit, but the person, you're jealous of somebody because they've got something which you don't have maybe. Yet what you're doing is by being jealous, you're giving your good deeds to them as well. Because generally what happens, you're jealous of somebody, you'll backbite them as well. So they're benefiting much more and you're losing out. It harms the envier by nullifying his good deeds and exposing him to Allah's wrath. For the person who's jealous is angered by Allah's decree and is stingy about the blessings from his treasure being spread out over uh, to his slaves. This is very harmful to his religion. It harms his worldly affairs in, in that he never ceases to be in it harms his worldly affairs in that he never ceases to be in constant distress and grief, which is what his adversary desires for him. So this person is now in constant grief. You wanted that person to, you saw a person happy and smiling, you became jealous. Thinking, why is he happy? Why has he got a blessing? You want that person to stop being happy, a calamity to fall upon them and become sad. Some sickness should come to them or they should get damaged or they should have a crash or they should have be involved in an accident or something. These are thoughts that come to a jealous person's mind so that Allah's blessing is taken away from them. In reality, what's happening that you've become the person who's struck with grief instead of them because every time you hear of them, every time you see them, there's like a, it's, like a, it's like a mountain falls upon you because you can't bear seeing that person happy and your good deeds are taken away as well and given to that individual. So the benefit is of the person you're being jealous of and yours is only harm. The latter had intended for his enemy to be tested with affliction, yet it happened to him. The envious person is never devoid of distress and affliction, whilst his adversaries or at least one of them never cease to be blessed. As for him benefiting his adversary and not harming him, this is because the blessing will not go away due to his envying. By you being jealous, it's not as if the blessing is going to go, is going to go away. In addition, the envier multiplies the good deeds of the one who is envied, since the former's good deeds are transferred to the latter. This is especially so if the envier, the person who is jealous, is always speaking ill of the envied, who in this case is wronged by the envier. The envier has sought the removal of worldly blessing from the envied, yet in fact he has added to it a blessing in the afterlife and obtained for himself a worldly punishment along with the punishment in the afterlife. So you wanted the removal of a blessing from somebody's life. 
Instead, what have you done? You've multiplied their blessings by transferring your good deeds to that person and you've multiplied your distress, not just in the world, but in the hereafter as well. So this knowledge is vital. If we don't have this knowledge that we're discussing now, how can you and I save ourselves from the evils of jealousy? So this is why the Imam is saying the first and foremost step is to know, is to learn, is to study, is to know what's wrong and how to treat it. He's like the one who throws a stone at his adversary, but fails to hit him. The stone bounces back, hits his eye, causing him to lose his sight and increases the malicious joy of his enemy, Iblis. So it's like getting a stone. You've tried to throw it really hard at your enemy and what happens? You miss and it hits the wall, bounces back on you. You become blind, you lose your sight and on the side your enemy and his enemy, your mutual enemy which is Shaitan, Shaitan's laughing at you because he's happy with all what's happening. The blessing has surely been lost on him as well as contentment with divine decree. So this is the most serious uh, danger of uh, being jealous is that a person is uh, complaining about Allah, Allah's distribution and this is dangerous and this will harm a person. If he had been content with it, there would have been a reward for it, especially if he was envious. So if the envy has come, but a person controlled it and said, no, this is, this is Allah's distribution. Allah knows better. Allah wants that person to have it. That's why that person has it. And if it was something good that you were envious of, for example, a person was jealous because another person was known to be more pious than him, for example. So only the thought came to my mind. I didn't take any action. If I controlled it, I'll be rewarded. Because over here, what you want is you, you want to try and be uh, as pious as that person as well. And, but you didn't take any action. For indeed, the reward of the lover of knowledge is magnified. Or for example, you're jealous because somebody has more knowledge than you. Um, again, over here, if it's controlled and done in a good way, halal way, where you're not complaining about the distribution of Allah, rather it's just an aspiration you have. So it would have been good if I was that knowledgeable as well. You don't desire that. Why is he or she more knowledgeable than me? Or why is he or she working at the same place as me, but then they've got a promotion and I haven't? Why is so-and-so only started a few days ago? I've been in this for years and years, but they've excelled in the business and I'm still exactly where I am. And you know, this is when a person starts losing it because you start complaining. Whatever happens, happens with the will of Allah. This Allah's bounty, Allah's decision, Allah's distribution. A jealous person is complaining about the distribution of Allah and showing that Allah, you've not done it right. You shouldn't have given it to them. Every blessing that everyone has should have come to me only. Nobody else should. That's what happened because jealousy is something that it starts happening and then you start becoming jealous of everybody and everything. And you just become a miserable individual because you can't see anybody happy. Everyone's happiness is your misery. Uh, so then because now a person's become very far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because a person is come. This, this is to do with our iman. It has a very detrimental impact because your belief is affected now. You think it's just about an individual and some money or some knowledge or a business or a car or, or children or marriage or it's to do with a house or it's to do with some, some kind of promotion. It's not just that. It's more serious than that. So as for practice, so that was knowledge. As for practice, it is that a person knows the ruling of envy and what he entails in regards to both statement and action. He thus opposes it and practices its opposite by praising the envied. So now, when was the knowledge and we've spoken about that already, how we should apply that. In terms of practice and amal, what can we do practically if I've got jealousy and we all have a level of jealousy inside us, how can we remove it from our lives? So one way a person can do this is by praising the person you're jealous about. And this is not easy. It's difficult. That someone you're jealous about, of course, you, you end up not liking them. Um, you end up speaking ill of them, but then to go and praise them, to speak good of that person and to say mashallah about what they've got and what they've been gifted with, this is difficult. But when a person takes this difficult step, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes this jealousy because then a person believes. When you've got that knowledge, number one, that who's given it to them? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you've practiced on this guidance that you've gone out and praised that person 
you'll start seeing the effect uh, being removed. Showing joy because of his blessings and being humble with them. So normally if a person was jealous with somebody, you'd be a bit funny with them, be a bit arrogant with them, act with them in a, in a very indecent way. That other person doesn't even know, why is this person being so weird and awkward with me? Uh, little does he know that this person's, you know, he, he's burning inside. Um, so this is the reason why it was happening. So if you start being nice to them, being humble to them, respecting them, honoring them, and at the same time uh, praising them, this will help. It says envy will de depart and he'll be freed from his sin and his pain. Your misery will go away, your unhappy days will go away, and you'll become much more content. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Beautiful verse of the Quran. Allah says, repel a bad deed with that which is better. Don't give, don't repel a bad with bad. Something bad happened, return it with a good thing. And as for whom there is enmity between you and him, it will be as if he was a close friend of yours. So someone until yesterday, you felt really bad about, you'll do this and you'll feel as if you're very close and you won't feel any bad towards them. Perhaps your ego does not obey you concerning equality between your adversary and your friend. Rather you dislike what is bad for your friend, but not for your adversary. You like blessings for your friend, but not for your adversary. And you do not trouble yourself with what you have no power over. If you are unable to control that, then you must free yourself from sin with two things. Now generally what happens is, this jealousy, normally it doesn't take place between someone you don't know, or someone who might even be an enemy of you. You, don't, you, could, you couldn't care less if someone on the other side of the world had something. It's more common within people you know, your own family members, even within siblings for example or within friends, someone who's the same age as you, someone who's close to you, it happens more like that. So the Imam is mentioning now that there are two actions that need to be taken to free ourselves from this sin. The first of them is that you do not manifest envy with your tongue, limbs or voluntary actions. First of all, it's in the mind, isn't it? It comes in the mind. It's a thought. What you do with it, that makes the difference. The idea coming in the mind, a lot of the times it comes by itself. You can't control it. And if it's just that, then it's not wrong. It's, a, it's something that's just happened. It's a thought that's come to you. So the first thing is, you cannot let it manifest. Don't start saying things about that person. Don't become angry with that person. And don't backbite that individual. Rather, you oppose what envy entails. So you want to say something bad about them, say something good about them. So that's number one. And the second is that you dislike your ego's love for the removal of Allah's blessing on any of his slaves. If this dislike is religiously motivated, but yet still coupled with the love of the removal of a blessing as dictated by your natural disposition, then there is no sin upon you, nor must you change your natural disposition, for you surely will be unable to do so most of the time. I'll read that again. So the second thing is that you dislike your ego's love for the removal of Allah's blessing on any of his slaves. So what, you should feel bad about what you're doing, not good about it. That this what my ego is telling me, it's really bad and I shouldn't be doing this. And it's really, really bad, it's a sin. If this dislike is religiously motivated, but yet still coupled with the love of the removal of a blessing as dictated by your natural disposition. So you've done what you had to do, you feel bad about it. You're not saying anything bad. You consider it a sin, but still that thought keeps coming. Then you've done your bit. You've done your bit and hopefully you won't be held accountable because you've done whatever you could. If that thought keeps coming, well, you just leave it to that. If it's just a thought, then that's there. You need to think of it as wrong and think bad about it. And because there's no more you can do uh, than doing these couple of things that have been mentioned uh, just now. So there is no sin upon you concerning what your natural disposition dictates. For indeed, natural disposition becomes risky only in regards to the one infatuated with Allah. He whose vision has been cut off from material things and the creation. He knows that this blessing does not benefit the one who has received it, if ultimately he will be in the hell. If he will be ultimately be in paradise, then what is the blessing relative to paradise? So at the end of the day, um, a person who has true iman and true belief, uh, he, after he practices on these things, 
he will definitely see benefit because beyond that there is no benefit whatsoever uh, going into Jannah this blessing that you're thinking about Jannah is nothing in comparison and if I'm going to carry on then it's going to have a great impact on my Iman and if I lose my Iman because of the jealousy where am I going to go to the hellfire is it worth it <laughs> no it's not I'd rather go to Jannah he can have all the money in the world he can have all the positions in the world all the knowledge in the world I'd rather this person have everything even my position my knowledge everything should be given to this person all my wealth should go to that person I'd rather that happen than me jeopardize my entry into paradise rather he sees all creatures as slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and loves them because they are slaves of his beloved he loves that the effect of his beloved's blessings on his slaves is manifest and this is a rare state that is not included under the rubric of moral responsibility. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to free ourselves from these evil characteristics. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first of all give us the ability to acquire the knowledge which is needed and most importantly may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the realization that we need to make a change. Until the realization doesn't come, a person will not go out of his or her way to make the change. On the first day we mentioned one important significant point is that when we come to such gatherings, what happens is when these things are discussed, we start thinking about other people. That he should hear this, she should hear this. I hope I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to forward this to so and so. I, I hope that he hears this. What happens is we always lose out. We never benefit. Because every time we hear something, it's always we're applying it to other people. So when we come to such gatherings, we should come with the intention of self-rectification. I've only come to benefit myself. Other people, they will do that. That's their responsibility, not mine. If I listen and if I speak with this intention that I'm saying what I'm saying, I'm listening to what I'm listening, because I've got something wrong with me and I want to change, I will benefit. And as long as we continue applying this methodology, inshaAllah, uh, we will see a huge difference. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-ladhin astafa amma ba'd. Fa'audhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala al-nabi, ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallim wa taslima dhulu sharif al-lijim. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد نجران کے قبیلے بنو حرس بن قاب کے لوگ سن ہجری نو میں اسلام لانے کی نیت سے دربار نبوت میں حاضر ہوئے تو یہ کچھ لوگ آئے ہوئے ہیں آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کی خدمت میں اور وہ اسلام لانا چاہتے ہیں تو ان کو مسجد نبوی کے باہر شمالی جانب لکری کا ایک سائبان نظر آیا تو وہ سمجھ نہیں سکے کہ یہ کیا ہے لیکن جب وہ اندر داخل ہوئے تو ان کو معلوم ہوا کہ یہ دربار رسالت سے وابستہ ہے عالی مرتبت اور قابل رشک آپ کے ان برگزیدہ ساتھیوں کا مسکن اور ہاسٹل ہے جو اصلا اور نسلا تو دولت سے آری اور دنیا سے خالی نہیں ہے لیکن توحید کی لذتوں سے سرشار ہو کر انہوں نے دھن اور دولت کو قربان کر کے اپنے آپ کو حصول علم نبوی اور خدمت دین کے لیے وقف کر دیا ہے اس شہر میں نہ ان کے عائزہ اور اقارب ہیں نہ بیوی بچے ہیں نہ اپنی تجارت و کاروبار ہیں اور نہ ذاتی مکانات اور باغات ہیں بدن کی سطر پوشی کے لیے بمشکل ایک ایک چادر ان کو میسر ہیں جو ان کے گھلے سے بندی ہوئی ہیں اور اس خوف سے کہ کہیں سطر نہ کھل جائے اس کو اپنے ہاتھ سے پکڑے رہتے ہیں لیکن اس میں بھی نظافت اور نفاست کا اعلیٰ معیار باقی رکھے ہوئے ہیں نہ بدن بدبودار ہیں نہ بال بکھرے ہوئے ہیں نہ کپڑے گندے ہیں نہ جسم پراگندا کچھ تو وہ ہیں جو دن میں کسی وقت جنگل جا کر لکڑیاں چن کر فروخت کر کے اپنے ساتھیوں کے لیے یک وقت کھانے کے نظم کرتے ہیں اور باقی جو بالعموم روزہ سے رہتے ہیں اور شام کو پانی سے افطار کرتے ہیں بھوک سے حالت جب ناقابل برداشت ہو جاتی ہے تو بھی ہاتھ نہیں پھیلاتے اور نہ اس کیفیت کو کسی پر ظاہر ہونے دیتے ہیں بلکہ اس تکلیف کو ہلکا کرنے کے لیے چپکے سے اپنے پیٹ پر پتھر باندھتے ہیں جماعت جب کھڑی ہو جاتی ہے تو اول یہ مسجد نبی کا حال بیان ہو رہا ہے کہ وہاں کے لوگ کیسے تھے تو اول صف میں نظر آتے ہیں لیکن کبھی کبھار دوران نماز زوف سے گھر بھی جاتے ہیں جس سے اجنبی انہیں پاگل اور مجنون سمجھتا ہے 
صاحب حیثیت مسلمان کبھی کبھی ان کے لئے خجور کے خوشے لاکر مسجد کی چھت میں لٹکاتے ہیں تو اسی سے کھاتے ہیں اکثر دو دو دن گزر جاتے ہیں ان کو کھانا نصیب نہیں ہوتا بعض اوقات سرکار دو عالم صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم انہیں رات کو مہاجرین اور انصار میں کھانا کھلانے کے لئے تقسیم کر دیتے ہیں آپ کی جب بھی دعوت ہوتی یا آپ کے پاس دعوت کا کھانا آتا تو آپ احتمام سے سب سے پہلے ان کو شریک کرتے ہیں دن میں یہ اپنے حبیب سے چمتے رہتے ہیں اور آپ کی زمانے مبارک سے جھرنے والے موتیوں کو چن کر محفوظ کر لیتے ہیں اور رات میں ذکر و تلاوت اور نمازوں میں مشغول رہتے ہیں کچھ تو شادیہ کر کے اپنے گھر بسا چکے ہیں اور یہاں سے خود کے مکانات میں منتقل بھی ہو چکے ہیں لیکن ایک بری تعداد جو مجموعی طور پر چار سو تک پہنچ گئی ہیں اسی فقر و فاقہ میں تونگری اور غنا کی لذت پا رہی ہیں اس سائبان میں بالعموم ان کی تعداد دس سے بیس کے آس پاس رہتی ہیں ان میں سے جو پرے لکھے ہیں ان کو قررہ کہا جاتا ہے جنہیں وقتاً فوقتاً قرآن تعلیمات کے نشر و اشاعت کے لیے مختلف قبائل میں وہاں کی تقاضوں پر بھیجا جاتا ہے سفر سنہجری تین میں سریع معونہ میں رعال و زکوان کی قبیلوں کے ہاتھ و شہید ہونے والے سب کے سب تیٹی نائن قررہ کا تعلق اسی خوش قسمت جماعت سے ہیں سیدنا عبادہ ابن سامت رضی اللہ تعالیٰ عنہ ان کے کل وقتی استاز ہیں جو ان کو قرآن سکھانے پر معمور ہیں ان میں مختلف نسلوں اور رنگوں کے لوگ شامل ہیں جس کو غلدستہ توحید نے یک جا کر رکھا ہے ایک طرف ان میں اگر ایران کے سلمان ہیں تو دوسری طرف روم کے سحیب ہیں ایک طرف حبش کے بلال ہیں تو دوسری طرف قبل دو سے تعلق رکھنے والے ابو حریرہ ہیں گھرز یہ ہے یہی اسلامی تاریخ کی پہلی درزگاہ ہیں اور پہلی مسلمان طلبہ کی پہلے اقامتگاہ ہیں اور آج دنیا میں قائم ہزاروں صحیح العقیدہ اسلامی یونیورسٹیوں اور لاکھوں مداری سے دینیہ کا سلسل نصب بقول مخدومی حضرت مولانا سعید ابو الحسن ندوی رحمت اللہ علیہ کا اسی صفحہ نبوی سے جا ملتا ہے تو آج دنیا میں جتنے بھی مدرسے ہیں مراکز دینیہ ہیں اور دینی درزگائیں ہیں ان سب کی بنیاد کیا ہے یہ اصحاب الصفحہ کہ اصحاب الصفحہ یہ اسلام کی سب سے پہلی درسگاہ ہے کہ یہاں پر اسلام کا سب سے پہلا مدرسہ اور سب سے پہلے طلبہ اور یہاں پر تعلیم نبوی شروع ہوتی ہے یہاں پر ایک ضروری وضاحت ضروری ہے کہ مسجد نبوی میں ہم لوگ جب وہاں پر عمرہ حج کے لئے جاتے ہیں اللہ بار بار نصیب فرمائے تو وہاں پر عام طور پر سے ایک جو ہے چبوترہ بتاتے ہیں انچائی پر کہ ایک جگہ ہے اور کہتے ہیں کہ یہ اصحاب الصفحہ کا چبوترہ ہے یہ صحیح نہیں ہے یہ صحیح نہیں ہے یہ اصحاب الصفحہ کی جگہ یہ نہیں تھی یہ تو ابھی قریب میں عثمانیوں کے دور میں آٹھومن ایمپائر جب چل رہا تھا اس وقت ان لوگوں نے یہ بنایا ہوا ہے اور نگہبانوں کے لئے جو پلیس سیکیورٹی والے حضرات کھرے رہتے تھے ان کے لئے انچی جگہ جگہ بنائی گئی ہے اور لوگ جو ہے وہاں جو ہے توت پڑتے ہیں اور یہاں جگہ ملنی چاہیے اصحاب الصفحہ اصحاب الصفحہ کی جگہ یہ بالکل نہیں ہو سکتی ہے اس لیے کہ یہاں پر تو آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کے ازواج متحرات کے گھر ہوا کرتے تھے جہاں پر مرد حضرات آج کل آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کو سلام پیش کرتے ہیں یہاں پر اسی جگہ پر مکان تھا حضرت حفظہ رضی اللہ عنہ کا حضرت حفظہ رضی اللہ عنہ کا جہاں مکان تھا وہاں پر آج مرد حضرات سلام پیش کرتے ہیں اور جہاں پر آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ابھی مدفون ہے یہ کس کا مکان ہے ام المؤمنین سیدہ آئیشہ رضی اللہ عنہ کا اور اس کے بعد فوراں بعد مکان ہے حضرت فاطمہ رضی اللہ عنہ کا اور حضرت علی رضی اللہ عنہ اور ابھی جو وہاں پر جالی مبارک ہے یہ اسی کے اندر ہے اس کے فوراں بعد یہ چبوترہ شروع ہوتا ہے یہاں پر تو ازواج متحرات کے اور مکانات تھے دور تک جیسے ازواج متحرات آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کا نکاح ہوتا گیا مزید مکانات بنتے گئے اور پیچھے تک مکانات تھے تو یہ ناممکن ہے کہ اس جگہ پر اصحاب الصفحہ کا مقام تھا وہاں نہیں تھا اور اندر سے مسجد میں مسجد کے اندر تھا یہ بھی یاد رکھئے کہ یہ جو جگہ آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کی قبر مبارک اور ازواج متحرات کے مکانات یہ شروع میں آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کی زندگی میں یہ مسجد کا حصہ نہیں تھا یہ تو بہت بعد میں حضرت عمر ابن عبدالعزیز رحمت اللہ علیہ کے دور میں اس پورے حصے کو مسجد میں شامل کیا گیا تو یہ کس طرح ہو سکتا ہے اصحاب الصفحہ تو ہمیشہ مسجد میں ہوا کرتے تھے جب قبلہ مسجد اقصہ کی طرف تھا ابھی ہم جو ہے آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کا جو محراب ہے جہاں پر آج کل بھی اب امام جو ہے پہلے آگے سے نماز پر رہاتے تھے لیکن ابھی کچھ عرصے سے چند مہینوں سے سال سے کم ہوگا شاید یا ایک سال ہو گیا اب 
اب جو ہے امام وہی آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم جہاں سے ریاض الجنہ میں نماز پڑھاتے تھے ابھی مسجد نبوی کا امام وہیں سے نماز پڑھانے لگا دوبارہ تو وہیں سے نماز پڑھاتے ہیں لیکن جب شروع میں مسجد نبوی کی تعمیر جب ہوئی تو سولہ یا سترہ مہینے تک قبلہ مسجد اقصہ کی طرف تھا تو یہ جو حصہ ہے مسجد کا پچھلا حصہ تھا جہاں پر امام ابھی کھڑا ہوتا ہے جہاں آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کا محراب ہے یہ شروع میں ابتداء یہ مسجد کا پچھلا حصہ تھا اور دوسری طرف امام آگے کھڑے ہوتے تھے اس وقت اصحاب الصفہ کی جگہ یہ تھی جہاں پر محراب ہے شروع میں اصحاب الصفہ کی جگہ یہ تھی مسجد کے پچھلے حصے میں اور یہاں پر اصحاب الصفہ رہا کرتے تھے جب قبلہ منتقل ہو گیا اس پچھلے حصے میں جیسے کل بتایا گیا ایک دروازہ تھا اس دروازے کو بند کر دیا اور وہاں پر آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم نماز پڑھانے لگے اصحاب الصفہ پھر پیچھے منتقل ہو گیا مسجد کے پچھلے حصے میں جتنی مسجد تھی اور جب مسجد کی توسیع کی گئی تو اس کے پچھلے حصے میں چلے گئے اور بعد میں جب فتوحات کا دور آ گیا اصحاب الصفہ پھر تھے نہیں اس لیے کہ وہاں پھر جو ہے مولا دولت الحمد پھر آ گئی اور اس طریقے سے کچھ نشانات بھی یہ ترکی دور میں انہوں نے جیسے بھی بتایا کہ جو مالدار صحابہ تھے وہ کبھی کبھی ان کے پاس کھجور کے گوشے جب آتے تو اس کو اوپر مسجد کے حصے میں لٹکا دیتے تھے تو قریب تک جو ہے مسجد نبوی میں ترکیوں نے بعض راز کی چیزیں رکھی ہوئی ہیں بعض چیزیں وہاں پر نشانات ہیں ابھی بھی بعض نشانات موجود ہیں بعض رنگ ہے اور بعض نشانات آپ دیکھیں گے ویسے آپ دیکھیں گے تو آپ کو صرف ایک ڈیزائن لگے گی کہ ڈیزائن ہے یہ ڈیزائن نہیں ہے انہوں نے جان بوجھ کر مسجد نبوی کی تاریخ کو محفوظ کرنے کے لیے بہت سی چیزیں پرانی جو مسجد میں اس میں رکھی ہوئی ہیں جیسے فار ایگزامپل مثال کے طور پر انہوں نے وہ گولڈن لیوز ہے بعض ستونوں کے اوپر گولڈن لیوز ہیں اور اس کے بعد اونچائی پر بھی کچھ پتے ہیں سونے کے تو یہ بتانے کے لیے کہ مسجد نبوی کی تعمیر جب شروع میں ہوئی تھی تو چھت اتنا تھا اور پھر جب توسیع ہوئی ایکسپانشن ہوا تو چھت اتنا ہو گیا یہ تو میں ایک مثال بتا رہا ہوں ایسی بہت سی چیزیں ہیں مسجد نبوی میں جو ترکی دور میں انہوں نے نشاندہی کی تو اسی طریقے سے یہ اصحاب الصفہ کی جو جگہ تھی وہاں پر بھی انہوں نے چھت میں بعض وہاں پر کچھ نشانات اور نقش و نگار کیے ہوئے تھے کھجور کے اور کچھ لیوز ان اور کھجور کے وہ بتانے کے لیے کہ یہ وہ جگہ تھی لیکن کچھ عرصے کچھ وقت وقفہ ہو گیا انہوں نے وہ چیزیں بعض چیزیں جو ہے نکال دی ہیں انہوں نے بہرحال وضاحت ضروری یہ تھی کہ جو اصحاب الصفہ لوگ سمجھتے ہیں وہ اصحاب الصفہ کی جگہ نہیں ہے اس لیے کہ وہ جگہ تو مسجد میں داخل ہی نہ تھی ازواج متحرات کا مکان تھا اور ویسے بھی کس طرح ہو سکتا ہے کہ ازواج متحرات کے مکان کے ساتھ ساتھ بالکل صحابہ وہاں پر ٹھہرے وہ تو مسجد کی جگہ تھی ہی نہیں تو یہ ایک ضروری وضاحت آپ کے سامنے بتا دی گئی چاندنی رات ہے اب یہ حضرت جابر ابن سمورہ رضی اللہ تعالیٰ ایک صحابی رسول ہے وہ فرماتے ہیں چاندنی رات ہے اور میرے سامنے دو دو چاند ہیں میں کبھی آسمان پر موجود چاند کو دیکھتا ہوں اور کبھی زمین پر اتر آنے والے مہتاب کو دیکھتا ہوں اس دن مہتاب کا تذکرہ ہوا اور پھر جو ہے ہم نے کہا کسی نے کہا کہ مہتاب تو سورج کو کہتے ہیں پھر کل ایک حاجی صاحب نے حاجی صاحب نے مجھے بتایا کہ مہتاب تو آفتاب سورج کو کہتے ہیں اور مہتاب کہتے ہیں چاند کو تو چاندنی رات ہے اور میرے سامنے دو دو چاند ہیں میں کبھی آسمان پر موجود چاند کو دیکھتا ہوں تو کبھی زمین پر اتر آنے والے مہتاب کو لیکن مجھے یہ فیصلہ کرنے میں دیر نہیں لگی کہ سرخ جورے میں ملبوس یہ زمینی چاند آسمانی چاند سے کہیں زیادہ حسین ہے عام بچوں کی طرح اب یہ نوجوان تھے بچے تھے تو یہ کہنے لگے کہ عام بچوں کی طرح میں بھی حسب معمول ظہر کی نماز با جماعت مدینہ منورہ میں اپنے حبیب کے ساتھ میں نے ادا کی اس کے بعد آپ نے گھر کا رخ کیا تو میں بھی ساتھ ہو لیا پیچھے پیچھے اسی دوران راستے میں ملنے والے بچوں کے ننے منے رخسار آپ نے کمال شفقت اور محبت سے تھپ تھپائے اب صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم نے چھوٹے جو بچے تھے تو ان کے جو رخسار ہے ان پر ہاتھ لگایا ان خوش قسمت بچوں میں میں بھی تھا آپ کے دست مبارک کی تھندک اور خوشبو مجھے ایسی محسوس ہوئی جیسے آپ نے ابھی اتردان سے اپنا ہاتھ نکالا ہے تو اتنے خوشبردار تھے آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم وادی بطام شم عقیدت کے پروانے بطور تبرک آپ کے ہاتھ مبارک کو پکڑ کر اپنے چہروں پر مر رہے تھے میں نے بھی جب ایسا کیا تو مجھے برف سے زیادہ تھندا اور مشک سے زیادہ خوشبودار لگا یہ ہے وہ ماہ نبوت جس کو اگر کوئی دیکھے تو یوں لگے جیسے سورج طلوع ہو رہا ہے دور سے دیکھنے میں انتہائی وجی 
اور قریب سے دیکھنے میں انتہائی جاذب نظر حسن و جمال کا ایک پروقار پہ کر دست قدرت کا ایک عظیم شاہکار انسانوں میں سے ایک انسان لیکن فرشتوں سے زیادہ نورانی اور معصوم چہرہ اور آفتاب سے زیادہ حسین تاروں کی جرمت میں مثل محتاب رخ انور گولائے لیے ہوئے جیسے چاند پر ملاحت پر نور اور انتہائی خوبصورت سرخی مائل کشادہ پیشانی جو رات کی تاریخ میں بھی چمک رہی ہو سر پر سیاہ امامہ شانوں تک لٹکے ہوئے سیاہ بال اور سرمگی آنکھوں نرم اور لطیف رخسار بری اور دراز پلکوں اور سرخ اور تبسم فرماتے لبوں کے مجموعے میں مجموعے نے اس ذات اقدس میں جمال قدسی کا وہ قابل رشک نمونہ پیش کر دیا جسے معلوم ہوتا ہے کہ کائنات کا کل حسن اسی میں سمت آیا ہے ایسا لگتا ہے کہ پوری کائنات کی خوبصورتی اس ایک ذات بابرکت میں حق سبحانہ ہو تعالی نے رکھ دی ہے قد بھی درمیانہ نہ زیادہ لمبا نہ پست بلکہ قدرے طول کی طرف ہی مائل رنگ سفید سرخ نہ چونے کی طرح خالص اور نہ گندم کی طرح ساؤلا البتہ کثرت سفر اور دھوپ کی وجہ سے کبھی سفید رنگت میں ہلکی سی گندمی رنگ کی جھلک ہے جس میں مبارک سدول نہ زیادہ فربا ہے اور نہ اتنا کمزور اور نحیف کے عیبدار بال نہ زیادہ پیچدار ہے نہ بالکل سیدھے ہے بلکہ ہلکا سا خم لیے ہوئے یعنی آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کے بال بالکل سیدھے بھی نہیں تھے اس کے کچھ تھوڑا سا اس میں وہ تھا اس میں تیل ڈال کر کرینے سے کنگی کی ہوئی اور اہل کتاب کی مخالفت میں مانگ بھی نکالتے تھے یعنی پاٹنگ اسی طرح امامہ کے نیچے مشرقین سے امتیاز کے لیے توپی بھی ہے اور شملہ جو بالش بر ہے دونوں شانوں کے درمیان ہوا میں لہرا رہا ہے کھندوں کا درمیانی فاصلہ قدر زیادہ ہی ہے گردن اعتدال کے ساتھ اونچی اور خوش نما اور اس کا وہ حصہ جو دھوپ اور ہوا میں دکھائی دے رہا ہے سونے کی آمزش والی چاندنی کی طرح چمک رہا ہے رخسار مبارک نرم اور لطیف ہے خوشی اور مسرت کے موقع پر اس کی دھاریا چمک اٹھتی ہے اور رخ انور چاند کا ٹکڑا معلوم ہوتا ہے خفگی اور غصے کے موقع پر آنکھیں سرخ اور رنگ متغیر ہو جاتا ہے داری گنی اور سیاہ اور مونچھے اپنے اور مونچھے اپنے جد امجد حضرت ابراہیم علیہ السلاۃ والسلام کی طرف بہت چھوٹی کٹی ہوئی ہونٹ مبارک اور کنپتی میں چند سفید بال ہیں جو بمشکل بیس کے قریب ہیں تو بتایا گیا کہ آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کی جو کنپتی یہاں پر اور داری میں صحابہ نے گنا بعض نے انیس بعض نے بیس کہ صرف اتنے سفید بال تھے دندان مبارک انتہائی خوبصورت باریک اور چمکدار ہیں جو مسکرانے کے موقع پر اولو کی طرح چمکتے ہیں سامنے دو دانت الگ الگ ہیں گفتگو کے وقت اس کے درمیان سے ایک نور چمکتا ہے سینہ کشادہ لیکن ہموار اور ناک بلندی مائل آگے سے قدرے جھکی ہوئی دہن مبارک بھی کشادہ اور حسین آبرو باریک اور گنجان لیکن باہم پیوستہ بھی نہیں ہے ان دونوں کے درمیان ایک باریک رگ ہے جو غصے کے وقت ظاہر ہوتی ہے کلائی کلائیا اور لمبی ہیں جس پر چھوٹے چھوٹے خوبصورت بال ہیں جل بھی بہت نہایت ملائم ہیں اور کان بھی لمبے اور دلکش شان چورے اور مضبوط ہتھیلیا کشادہ اور پرگوشت اور ریشم سے زیادہ نرم اور نازوک انگلیا اعتدال کے ساتھ دراز اور موتی قدم مبارک بھی پرگوشت ہیں تلوؤں میں گہرائی کم ہے ایریو پر گوشت کم ہونے کی وجہ سے اس کے حسن میں غیر معمول اضافہ پندلیا بھی موٹی ہے شکم اطہر اور سینہ مبارک بالوں سے خالی البتہ ناف سے سینے تک بالوں کے ایک ہلکی سی خوبصورت لکیر اسی طرح بازو اور کھندو اور سینے مبارک کے اوپرے حصے میں کچھ بال ہیں دونوں شانوں کے درمیان اندے کے مانند سرخ ابرا ہوا گوشت کا حصہ ہے جس کو مہر نبوت کہلایا جاتا ہے اور جس پر تل کے ساتھ کچھ بال اگے ہوئے ہیں دہنے ہاتھ کی انگلی میں چاندنی کی انگوٹھی ہے جس میں اوپر سے نیچے تین سطر ہے محمد رسول اللہ تحریر ہے جس کا نگینہ بھی چاندی ہی کا ہے بیت الخلا جاتے وقت اس کو اتار دیتے ہیں قدم مبارک میں چمرے کی چپل ہے جس کے دو دو تسمے ہیں لنگی تخنے سے اوپر نصف ساک کے قریب ہیں اور کرتے کی آستین ہاتھ کے جوڑ تک ہیں جو نہ زیادہ تنگ ہے نہ زیادہ کشادہ پیسانی پسینہ جب آتا ہے تو مشک سے زیادہ خوشبودار ہوتا ہے جس گلی سے آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم گزر جاتے ہیں وہ گلی بہت ہی دیر تک معطر رہتی ہے غرض یہ ہے کہ اپنے اجداد میں حضرت ابراہیم علیہ السلام اور اولاد میں حضرت حسن ابن علی سے زیادہ مشابہ ہیں اور حضرت حسان ابن ثابت رضی اللہ تعالیٰ عنہ کے اس شہر کے سو فیصد مطابق ہیں 
کہ آپ جیسا حسین نہ اب تک کسی آنکھ نے دیکھا اور نہ آپ جیسا جمیل اب تک کسی مانے جنا ہے وہ احسن من کا لم ترقت آئینی وہ اجمل من کا لم تل دن نسا خلقت مبر من کل عیبن کن قد خلقت کما تشا کہ آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کی تعریف میں حضرت حسان ابن ثابت رضی اللہ تعالیٰ فرماتے ہیں کہ آپ جیسے خوبصورت آپ کسی آنکھ نے دیکھا نہیں اور آپ جیسے حسن و جمال والے کو کسی ماں نے اب تک جنا نہیں اور خلقت مبر من کل عیبن آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کو ہر عیب سے پاک پیدا کیا گیا گویا آپ کو پیدا کرتے وقت حق سبحان نے آپ کو پوچھا اے محمد اے میرے حبیب آنکھ کیسی چاہیے ناک کیسا چاہیے منہ کیسا چاہیے گردن کیسے ایک ایک چیز بالکل کامل طور پر پیدا کی گئی لگتا ہے کہ جب آپ کو دیکھتے ہیں جیسی آپ کی مرضی تھی ویسے ہی آپ کو پیدا, پیدا کیا گیا صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم حق سبحان ہم سب کو آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کے ساتھ سچی پکی محبت نصیب فرمائے آپ کے اطاعت نصیب کسرت سے درست شریف پڑھنے کی توفیق عطا فرمائے مبارک جمعہ کا دن ہے اور اس دن کو حضور اختر صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کے ساتھ خاص مناسبت ہے اس میں ہمیں حکم دیا گیا ہے کہ جمعہ کے دن کسرت سے مجھ پر درست شریف بھیجا کرو پرہا کرو اس لیے ہر ایک کو چاہیے کہ ماہ مبارک کا یہ جمعہ ہو سکتا ہے یا آخری جمعہ ہے اونلی اللہ نوز بیسٹ تو اس میں جتنا ہو سکے درست شریف کی کسرت ہو دور شریف کے بہت سے فضائل ہیں لیکن جمعہ کے دن اس کے فضائل کئی گنا جو ہے دوبالا ہو جاتے ہیں اور آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم تک وہ جو ہے فرمایا گیا کہ بعض فرشتے ایسے ہیں جو ہمیشہ سڑکوں میں گش کرتے رہتے پھرتے رہتے ہیں تلاش کرتے ہیں کہ کہیں کوئی درود شریف پڑھنے والا ہو تو وہ فوراً اس درود کو لے جا کر حضور اختر صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم پر اس کو پیش کرتے ہیں آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم اپنی قبر مبارک میں زندہ ہے آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کو وہ درود شریف پیش کیا جاتا ہے آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم اس کا جواب دیتے ہیں ہمارے لیے دعا اور استغفار کرتے ہیں کون نہیں چاہتا کہ حضور اختر صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کی توجہ آپ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کی دعا آپ کے استغفار ہمارے حق میں قبول نہ ہو تو کثرت سے ہم کوشش کریں مجھے بڑی خوشی ہوئی آج صبح کو یہاں آنے سے پہلے بعض جو ہے ہمارے نوجوان ساتھی ہیں وہ واٹس ایپ میں گروپ بنا ہوا ہے تو اس میں انہوں نے طے کیا ہوا ہے کچھ عرصہ ہو گیا کہ ہر جمعہ رات اور جمعہ کو درو شریف کو جو ہے ہم کچھ عزم کریں گے کہ ہم اتنا درو شریف پڑھیں گے ہم اتنا پڑھیں گے تو ہر ایک جو ہے ٹیکس کرتا ہے کوئی ہزار کہتا ہے کوئی دو ہزار کہتا ہے کوئی تین ہزار کہتا ہے تو مجموعی طور پر کئی ہزار درو شریف اسی ایک گروپ سے ہو جاتے ایک نوجوان کا ٹیکس صبح کو آیا اس نے آج کا ارادہ کیا میں دس ہزار درو شریف پڑھوں گا اور ویسے وہ عام غیر رمضان میں عام جمعہ میں عام طور پر وہ ویسے بھی چھ ہزار درو شریف ہمیشہ اس کا ہوتا ہے چھ ہزار درو شریف حالانکہ نوجوان ہے کام کرنے والا ہے بزی آدمی ہے جب اس طرح کے نوجوان کر سکتے ہیں جو کام والے ہیں تو جو جنہوں نے وقت نکالا ہوا ہے جو لوگ احتکاف میں ہیں جن کا اور کوئی کام ہی نہیں سوائے عبادت کے ہم نہیں پڑھ سکتے صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کتنا آسان ہے صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ایک ہزار درست پڑھنے میں صرف پندرہ یا بیس منٹ لگتی ہے کم از کم تو کتنا وقت ہمارے پاس ہے حق سبحان سب کو کثرت سے درست شریف پڑھنے کی توفیق ادا فرمائے واخر الحمد للہ